0: This evening, we're going to be reading from Psalm 86. Hear me, Lord, and answer me, for I am poor and needy. Guard my life, for I am faithful to you. Save your servant who trusts in you. You are my God. Have mercy on me, Lord, for I call to you all day long. Bring joy to your servant, Lord for I put my trust in you. You, Lord, are forgiving and good, abounding in love to all who call to you. Hear my prayer, Lord. Listen to my cry for mercy. When I am in distress, I call to you because you answer me. Among the gods, there is none like you, Lord. No deeds can compare with yours. All the nations you have made will come and worship before you, Lord. They will bring glory to your name, for you are great and do marvellous deeds. You alone are God. Teach me your way, Lord, that I may rely on your faithfulness. Give me an undivided heart that I might fear your name. I will praise you, Lord, my God, with all my heart. I will glorify your name forever, for great is your love towards me, for you have delivered me from the depths, from the realms of the dead. Arrogant foes are attacking me, O God. Ruthless people are trying to kill me. They have no regard for you, but you, Lord, are a compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger abounding in love and faithfulness. Turn to me and have mercy on me. Show your strength in behalf of your servant. Save me, because I serve you, just as my mother did. Give me a sign of your goodness, that my enemies may see it and be put to shame. For you, Lord, have helped me and comforted me. Amen.
1: Well, good evening again and thanks very much, Mark, for the invitation to, to come and be with you all here this evening uh, and to share God's word. Let's pray as we start. God, our Father, at the, at the end of a busy week and at the start of another one, we thank you for the reminder that your everlasting arms are underneath us, that as a result we can have joy in the pilgrim way that you call us to. We pray now that in these next few minutes that you would open our eyes and open our hearts to what you would say to us. Help us to, to see you. Help us to love you. Help us to love each other more as a result of, of what we think about in these next few minutes. Send your Holy Spirit, Lord, we pray, and do your work among us. In Jesus' name, amen. So I understand from Mark that uh, we're in a, 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 a sermon series in the Psalms, looking at different aspects of what the Psalms tell us about prayer. And when Mark first got in touch a couple of months ago to, to ask me to, to preach, um, all I knew that my topic was um, learning to wait in our prayers, um, and that I was speaking on Psalm 86. It took me a while, I think, to get my head around what what that meant, learning to wait in our prayers. It's a bit of an odd thing, perhaps, to talk about. Um, I think what I'm going to do is to think about waiting in two different senses. Uh, The first, I'll use an analogy of a train journey I made uh, from uh, the station I usually get on at, which is Earlsfield into Waterloo. This was a couple of weeks ago. Uh, It was a Saturday afternoon, I was going into work, so I wasn't particularly happy at at the best of times. But there we were. Um, Those of you who commute into into London will know what this is like. Uh, We got almost all the way to Waterloo, and then the train stopped. And that was that. It was a crowded train, it was hot. I didn't really want to be there. We were out of control, we were waiting. There was silence. No one knew what was going on. The guard would occasionally come on and tell us that we were being held by a red signal, but we knew that because we were stopped. All of us were waiting. But it struck me as I looked around that carriage that there were lots of different ways of waiting. Some people, one woman in particular standing on my left, was furious. She was stamping her feet. She was huffing and puffing. She was punching the doors. She was furious. She was angry. Some other people were apathetic. You know, this is London. This is what always happens. They'd basically given up. But it struck me that one or two others seemed to be waiting peacefully and in trust. They knew that the driver and the guard and the signalman knew best. They knew that there was a reason why we were stopped there. It was for our safety, it was for our good, something had gone wrong up in front. But they were waiting in trust and in peace. We were all waiting for something. We were looking for an explanation, perhaps, or a movement. Ultimately, we were, looking, we were waiting to get to our destination. But we could wait in different ways. And The second way of waiting um, is is something which which, um, I'm sure many of you will have have seen, perhaps without realizing it, if you watch footage of the Queen arriving at a major event. So you have the police outriders going first, and then you have probably a big police car, and then one or two other vehicles, and then along comes the, the, the Queen's enormous red Bentley with the Royal Standard flying, and you can see the Queen in the back. And who's next to her? Well, usually it's the Duke of Edinburgh. But if he isn't there, there will be somebody with her. It'll be one of her ladies-in-waiting. And her job, the job of the lady-in-waiting, is to be there to wait on the queen. She's not waiting for the queen because she's with her already. But she is waiting on the queen. She's there to fulfill whatever need the queen might have. She's there waiting on the Queen's command. So two senses in which we can wait. We can wait for something. We can wait for an explanation. We can wait for a destination. Or we can wait on something. We can wait on someone, more particularly, in the sense of serving them. So we'll have a look at both of those tonight. If you've closed the passage, do open it again, Psalm 86, on page 596. And many thanks to Irene for reading to us. Before we dive in to thinking about waiting for God, I just want to step back a little bit and say that this is inevitably, for all of us, uh, a very difficult and a very sensitive topic. Uh, as, as I get a little bit older, it's, it's ever-increasingly apparent that all of us have things which go wrong, things that we struggle with. People die, Mark mentioned that earlier on. Someone's died in the village this week. Marriages break up, relationships don't work out. There is, there is pain. All of us experience that. It can be physical pain. It can be emotional pain. It can be pain around uh, our, our sexuality. It can be spiritual pain. It can be mental pain. Uh, The list goes on. Christians throughout the ages have always suffered. And Christ has often seemed far away. Charles Spurgeon, who's, who's renowned as one of the greatest preachers in the 19th century, suffered terribly from depression. And he said this, The mind can descend far lower than the body. For the mind, there are bottomless pits. The flesh can bear only a certain number of wounds and no more, but the soul can bleed in 10,000 ways and die over and over again each hour. The Apostle Paul, 2 Corinthians 1, says this. We do not want you to be uninformed Brothers and sisters, about the troubles we experienced in the province of Asia. We were, he says, under great pressure, far beyond our ability to endure, so that we despaired of life itself. David, in the psalm that we're looking at this evening, Psalm 86, verse 14 Arrogant foes are attacking me, O God. Ruthless people are trying to kill me. They have no regard for you. All three of these individuals were waiting for God. Terrible situations of mental and physical suffering. Where was God? Where is God when we suffer? Psalm 86 gives us many encouragements, I believe. And we'll look at some of them now. We need to be clear, though, what we mean by encouragement. It's a word which is chucked around quite a lot. It certainly does not mean, in this context, a little pat on the back, a cheer up, chin up, everything's going to be okay. It's not a look on the bright side. It's certainly not that, that worst of all possible things we can say to someone who's suffering. At least you're not... Whatever it is at least you're not on the street, at least you 're not facing death, minimizing their suffering. That is not what we 're talking about, but we are talking about encouragement, and it's literal in its full meaning of being filled with courage and it 's my prayer that all of us will be filled with god 's courage, with godly courage, with godly strength to face whatever we might be experiencing now or in the future. So three points to look at here. First of all, we wait for God in community because others are with us. Secondly, we wait for God in relationship because God is with us. And thirdly, we wait for God triumphantly because God will answer and already has. So firstly, we wait for God in community because others are there. We're not alone. More, more importantly, you are not alone. You and your suffering are not alone. I am not alone. It doesn't always seem like that, Suffering can be extremely lonely, and all the more so when God seems silent. All those questions come up. Why me? Where have I gone wrong? What have I done? And that awful question which we all face, has God finally abandoned me? Suffering may be lonely, but we do need to remember that we're not alone. We have already seen that other Christians experience suffering. We've already seen that Paul experienced suffering. And we need to see that David experienced suffering. Have a look at verse 1. Hear me, Lord, and answer me, for I am poor and needy. Verse 7, when I am in distress... I call to you. Verse 14. Arrogant foes are attacking me. Ruthless people are trying to kill me. But ultimately, ultimately we see suffering in the person of the Lord Jesus. Anyone know the shortest verse in the Bible? Jesus wept. Jesus wept. The death of Lazarus his friend. Jesus wept. Jesus knows emotional pain. Jesus knows extraordinary physical pain of the cross. And ultimately, Jesus knows that spiritual pain. When he, quite literally, cries out, has God finally abandoned me? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? So strange as it may sound, there is encouragement here because suffering is a normal part of our experience as Christians in a fallen world. Mark mentioned on the way over that the unofficial slogan of the church is no perfect Christians. Brilliant, and that's that's wonderful. None of us is perfect. None of us uh, is is immune uh, from suffering. But when we're suffering... Don't hide. Don't hide. If you're not alone, don't make yourself alone. Be among brothers and sisters. Don't hide from each other. More importantly, don't hide from God. Turn to God. Wait for him. Secondly, we wait in relationship because... God is there. This may be easy to miss, or it may be a point which is hardly worth making, but the psalm makes no sense whatsoever if God is not there. In fact, the whole psalm is based on the fact that God is there and God hears. It's David's unshakable belief that God is there which makes him pray. But even more wonderfully, look at verse 1. Do you see how it's written there? Hear me, Lord. And the Lord's written in, in those sort of little capital letters, which is the way they translate the Hebrew word Yahweh. So David's saying, hear me, Yahweh, and answer me. And why is that significant? Well, it's because it's the name which God chose to reveal himself to Moses. It's the name which... God uses to describe his covenant relationship, his faithful relationship with his people through all time. And it's a name which is perhaps best translated as I am. I am here. I am present. I am with you. I will never change. I will never leave you. I can never be anything other than I am. So right at the beginning of David's prayer when he pours out his his suffering and his struggles and the things he's facing, he's acknowledging in that one word that God is there, that God is faithful, that God will not let him down. But there's more. Look at verse 15. But you, Lord, says David, are a compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love, and faithfulness, who can tell me where that came up? Mark should be able to tell me exodus six exodus six and what 's happened in Exodus four is this is the, um, the incident with the golden calf. If you remember God had come he 'd given his commandments to the people of Israel. When we, get to, um, when, when, we, when we get to the golden calf, they've abandoned him. They've said, God is not there. He's not listening to us. We will set up a golden calf. We will worship that instead. The people have broken God's covenant. But what does God do in response to that? What does God do? Well, God tells Moses to carve new tablets, new stone tablets, new, new record of the law. God reestablishes the covenant which he had with Israel. And then God meets Moses and he reveals his name again. He says, Moses, I am Yahweh. I am the Lord. Exodus 34 verse 6. The Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger abounding in love and faithfulness. So do you see what David is doing? Faced with suffering, faced with uncertainty, he reminds himself of God's name. And in so doing, he reminds himself of God's faithfulness, God's faithful promise to be with his people forever. A promise that does not depend on the people's faithfulness, but only on God's. And it's a promise which we see in Exodus 34. It's a promise that holds fast and remains secure even when we as individuals fail. So what can you do? What can I do to follow David's lead? One way, I believe, is to be still. As that song which we just sung reminds us, to lean on those everlasting arms, the arms which belong to Yahweh, the arms which belong to the compassionate and the gracious God. So we wait for God in community, knowing that we're not alone. We wait for God in relationship, knowing that God is with us. And finally, we wait for God triumphantly, knowing that he will answer and already has. Did you see that? Tucked up in the middle of David's prayers and requests in Psalm 86. The reminder of the answers that God has already given him. Look at verse seven. When I am in distress, I call to you, because you answer me. Or verse 13. For great is your love towards me. You have delivered me from the depths, from the realm of the dead. And verse 17. Give me a sign of your goodness that my enemies may see it and be put to shame. For you, Lord, have helped me and comforted me. You see, David waited for God knowing that countless times before, both for David personally, and for God's people as a whole, God had answered. How much more for us, looking back not only at David, but at the Lord Jesus, how many more examples do we have of God answering our deepest needs? A wonderful verse if you're taking notes, Romans eight thirty-one to 32. Paul says to us, what then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? So, how do we wait for God in our prayers? We wait in community, we wait in relationship, and we wait triumphantly. That's the first bit, learning to wait for God in our prayers. Let's have a little look at the second bit, learning to wait on God in our prayers. I think this is the bit which really spoke to me and which really struck me personally as I was preparing. Let me take you back uh, to the illustration at the start of the train stuck outside Waterloo. We had different ways of waiting. We had the person who was angry. We had the person who was apathetic. And we had the person who was trusting. And that trust, I would say, is very close to the second picture we had of of the lady-in-waiting with the queen, trusting someone is very close to honoring them, It's very close then to serving them, to putting them in their place uh, above us, as senior to us. When we think about waiting on God in prayer, we see that prayer is an opportunity in and of itself to demonstrate our faith and our trust in God. As the passenger waited for the the driver's decision to move on, or as the lady-in-waiting awaits the queen's command, each of them is honoring the person on whom they are waiting. So it's the same for us. By waiting on God in prayer, we have an opportunity every day of our lives to worship him. And acknowledge him as God. There are two ways I think of doing that. Firstly, simply by praying, we acknowledge that God is God. Man's greatest temptation since Adam and Eve, and a temptation which is common to all of us, is to take the place of God. And we've seen in Genesis the, the awful consequences of Adam and Eve's decision to do that. Their decision of trying to be like God instead of honoring the command uh, that he had given them. In Romans 1, Paul ascribes some of mankind's descent into sin in part to be a refusal to glorify God or to thank him, to a desire, in other words, to take God's place. How are we tempted to do the same? Well, I guess it's probably different for each of us. But all of us will have an unwillingness to submit to God's commands and to his will. All of us will have a, a tendency to rely on our own strength, our own knowledge, instead of waiting for him. Do we see what's going on in Psalm 86? Faced with those attacking foes, in verse 14... What does David do? Does he sharpen his sword? Does he have a word with his generals? Does he run? Does he hide? He prays. He acknowledges that God, and only God, can help him. He stops. He stills himself. He honors God. He worships God by praying to him. an extremely difficult thing to do. I know that personally. And there are multiple examples in the Bible which show us that people have always found it difficult. The one that springs um, most easily to mind is, is Abraham and Sarah. Uh, you'll remember that God gave Abraham a promise that his offspring would be as many as the stars in the heavens. Um, but Abraham and Sarah were old. Sarah was beyond childbearing age. What does Abraham do? Instead of trusting God, instead of waiting for God, instead of waiting on God in prayers, he takes things into his own hands and he sleeps with Haggai, with Sarah's maidservant. And things go wrong. How are we tempted to do the same thing? Let's look at verse 11. Teach me your way, Lord, that I may rely on your faithfulness. Give me an undivided heart, that I may fear your name. So firstly, prayer is an opportunity to worship God simply by praying, simply by kneeling at his feet and acknowledging our need of him. But second and finally, as we wait on God in prayer, we worship God by using our our prayers, as David did, to remind ourselves of God's character. David shows us wonderfully how to do this. Throughout the psalm, we see David's requests of God and his worship of God woven together. Have a look at verse 5. You, Lord, are forgiving and good, abounding in love to all who call to you. Or verse 8. Among the gods there is none like you, Lord. No deeds can compare with yours. Or verse 10. For you are great and do marvellous deeds. You alone are God. David's prayers are not shopping lists, as if God were some sort of heavenly delivery man. No, instead, David's prayers are themselves worship. Worship because in his prayers, David relies on God rather than himself. And worship because throughout his prayers, David proclaims to himself and to all his hearers the wonder and the majesty of God. Do we wait on God in our prayers? Do we see prayer itself as an opportunity to serve our Father? Let's wrap up. We've seen how Psalm 86 helps us to do two things. Firstly, to wait for God in our prayers. And secondly, to wait on God in our prayers. In prayer, we wait for God in community because others are there. So what can you do as a church? What can all of us do? What can I do as an individual to promote that community? What can I do to promote a community where anyone can ask for anything, where anyone can admit anything and know that they will be loved and pointed towards our Lord Jesus? If you're here and you're feeling alone, if you're here and you're suffering alone, what can you do? to find that community. It's here, I know it's here. It requires boldness, it requires trust, but it's there. Who can you talk to? Who can you pray with? We wait for God in relationship because God is there. We really need to get this into our hearts, that the God to whom we pray is the God who says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. It's the God who, faced with Israel's unfaithfulness, shows himself to be faithful. And in that very moment, shows us his character as a God full of compassion and grace. And we wait for God triumphantly because we know that God will answer. I've heard it said that God is almost always nearly late, and I've experienced that, a number of you might as well. God's timing is not our own. Is that how it feels to you? God has answered, and God will answer. And we wait on God in our prayers by honoring him. So brothers and sisters, Let us see prayer, first and foremost, as part of our worship of God. In our prayer, we acknowledge that God is God and that we are not. When we pray like David prayed, we worship God by recalling and retelling his goodness. Do you see prayer as part of worshipping God? If prayer has become a shopping list, what can you do tonight? or tomorrow morning to turn your prayer into worship? What aspect of God's character from Psalm 86 or wherever else in the Bible that you see it, one aspect of God's character can you thank him for? Can you glorify him for? What answered prayer can you thank him for? As we wait for God, may we be filled with godly courage and assurance. And as we wait on God, may we worship him truly as God. Let's pray to close. Teach us your way, Lord, that we may rely on your faithfulness. Give us an undivided heart that we may fear your name. We will praise you. May this be our prayer. We will praise you, Lord our God, with all our heart. We will glorify
2: your name forever. Amen. Fathers, we read this psalm which begins, "Here, O Lord, and answer me, for I am poor and needy. We start by asking for your forgiveness, because so often we do not call to you, and we find it so difficult to acknowledge that we are poor and needy. Please forgive us for our self-reliance. Please forgive us for turning to anything other than you when we're struggling. Please forgive us when we're so slow to wait. Why don't we just take a moment of quiet to think of whatever situation it is in our life where we so struggle to be fully reliant on the Lord. And maybe in the quietness of your heart, bring that to God right now. Lord, thank you for the, the wonderfully encouraging words that this psalm have within it. But you, O oh Lord, are gracious and compassionate. You're slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness. And as the psalmist prays, turn to me and have mercy on me. Grant me your strength. Heavenly Father, we do turn to you now and we pray that this week you would give us strength to wait on you and wait for you. Thank you, too, that we've been reminded that we live in community and we wait together. Help us to look around us and see those around us for whom life is more difficult at this time. Maybe unanswered prayer or illness and uncertainty is crippling. Help us to be a community where we can be real with each other and where we walk alongside one another. Do pray for John and Joe as they head back to London, that you would bless them as they serve you in the city, in the law firms that they work. We thank you for John's ministry to us tonight and I pray Lord that the journey you've helped him begin of learning what it means more and more to wait on you that you would continue that journey and teach him ever more what it means to be fully dependent upon you. Father thank you that you're the God who gives us peace and I pray that this would be a week where we are quick to wait for you and as we wait may we know the peace of a loving God who has his arms around us and will carry us through each and every day.